Welcome in to another edition of the Stingers Up Sacramento State Football Podcast. I'm Jason Ross. Hopefully you had a wonderful holiday, Thanksgiving, stuffed yourself, and you're recouped and ready to go for the second season. That's what Troy Taylor and the coaching staff has called it. That first one was perfect. As you know, 11-0, two-seed playoffs begin for the Hornets this Saturday, and we've got a lot to cover here today on the podcast. We thank you for all of you that have supported us throughout the season, and if you're new here, thank you. Let everyone know that we're around, and we're going to be talking about this great football program that has dreams and aspirations of a a long playoff run, but it starts with one, and uh, they got to see if they can get the first one that's been eluding them in the past, and uh, this weekend we now know who the Sacramento State Hornets are going to play. As uh, the layout was either Davidson or Richmond. Richmond hosted Davidson last weekend, and uh, to Richmond's credit, it wasn't much of a contest. 41 nothing. Reese Udinsky and the offense, amazing. The defense pitched the shutout. The Hornets were preparing for both teams. Now, of course, they've locked in on just the one as the Richmond Spiders are coming out to California for their first ever trip in uh, round two as we're now to the Sweet 16 of the FCS playoffs. So today on the podcast, we are going to look at the brackets and how things have laid out for some big sky teams and just the overall selection process with Sam Herder. And if you follow FCS playoffs or FCS at all, uh, Sam does a great job for Hero Sports. Uh, Certainly is a must follow on Twitter to see his articles and opinions and, and kind of constant commentary on what's going on in the FCS, Hornets included, Big Sky included. And we're going to get a preview of this Saturday's game uh, as the Richmond Spiders come to town, as we mentioned. Bob Black, their longtime voice, will join us as well. So let's get going because there's a lot for us to cover. And uh, we start with our conversation with Sam Herder. All right, as we mentioned, got to catch up more on just the overall landscape of the FCS and the playoffs. And if you're not following Sam Herder on Twitter or at Hero Sports or different things that he does, you're missing out because he covers this level uh, with thoroughness, uh, good objectiveness, knows all the things inside and out as Sam Herter joins us on the Stingers Up Football Podcast. Sam, how are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you. Um, is this like, you know, we're coming up on the holidays and Christmas, I guess. Uh, is this like Christmas for you when we get to the FCS playoffs? It really is. Uh, I know there's 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 some flaws and some warts in the FCS playoff system, which have certainly been exposed this year. But overall, when you have a 2014 bracket to decide a Division One football national champion, I, it's really special and unique that the FCS has. And so um, there, there are some negatives to it. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that. Maybe we won't. Mm-hmm. But I know that's kind of the Twitter conversation right now. But when it comes down to it, you know, the teams on the, on the field, you know, who's going to go to the quarterfinals? Who's going to go to the semifinals? The three-week break between the FCS championship game that you know causes a lot of excitement on, on social media. Uh, this whole next month from late November to early January is a really fun time in the FCS. Yeah, well, I'll get into some of the I, – I am curious about your opinion on some of those flaws. I, I'll go back first to the actual selection uh, process and the 24 they put in. Um, help me understand as a Hornet and, – and certainly I could be looking at this through Sacramento State glasses, but, I mean, they have a great conference – they go undefeated, the only one, and I certainly, this is not to indict South Dakota State by any means or North Dakota State or anybody else, but I don't know what else the Hornets could have done to be number one. Another two, there's no shame in being two by any means, but what what do you think the thought process was for the committee to have them at two as opposed to one? Yeah, that is one sign of maybe some of the inconsistencies this year where you know Montana was the last team in, and one of the reasons was they play in, in a really good conference. 
But on the flip side, well, if Sac State plays in a really good conference and they went undefeated um, and had a, a pretty tough path to playing some of those ranked teams, then, you know, Sac State going undefeated with an FBS win, beating all those big sky teams, you can make an argument that they should have been uh, the top seed. And in my final bracket projection, I, I did have Sac State as the number one seed, South Dakota State, uh, the number two seed. Uh, my reasoning for that is usually in the past, uh, the playoffs committee would 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 take more of a objective approach and just look at resumes. And you know, Sac State had a um, by a slim margin. Sac State probably had a better resume than South Dakota State. Uh, more wins, an FBS win, a slightly stronger strength of schedule. Um, you know, didn't didn't lose a game either. Uh, more ranked wins uh, as well. And so. You know, I did think that Sac State deserved it, but the playoff committee took more of a subjective approach and just said, you know, who do we think is the better team? Who do we think would win on on a you know on a neutral field? And uh, you know, it appears more of them than not felt that South Dakota State was just the straight up better team uh, than Sac State, even though the resume might you know say otherwise. So it was it was more of a subjective thing than an objective approach to the top two seats there. And just another observation for me on that. I mean, again, it's, it's kind of you know nitpicking here to have the Hornets at two compared to one. It's not in the end. I don't know that it's going to uh, have a great impact. Who knows? We'll see how the playoffs go. But I, I found it interesting that I honestly thought then Montana State would be three and uh, North Dakota State would be four, even with what North Dakota State has done in their incredible history. Do you think any of that was done with a purpose of, hey, let's keep the big sky away from each other. Let's keep the Missouri Valley away from each other so they potentially could get a South Dakota State, um, North Dakota State final, or for that matter, a Sacramento State and Montana State final? Yeah, that it's not supposed to work that way. Um you know, the, the seeding process is through individual voting. And so the, the playoff committee will talk about, you know, here's this team's resume. Here's that team's resume. You know, this team, you know, potentially could be an eight seeder. These, these three teams are vying for the top two seeds. These five teams are vying for the top four seeds. And they, and they kind of talk about it and talk about each team. But when it comes to actually ordering the seeds, they each individually vote on a computer. Who, this is my number one seed. This is my number two seed on and on and on. And then that forms, uh, you know, through, you know, through whatever system the NCAA has that forms the seeds one through whatever. And then they talk about that again, you know, should this team really be that seed? Should that team really be that seed? And then they all individually vote again. And then that second vote, you know, whatever they do a point system and then that's the order. And so it's not necessarily something where they all go, well, we have South Dakota state, the one seed, we have to put North Dakota State uh, the three seed. We we shouldn't put them the four seed because then that could, you could have an all Big Sky semifinal, all Valley um, uh, semifinal. They don't necessarily talk about that as a group thinking to order it that way, but each individual committee member could think that way and vote their seeds. You know how they see fit with, with South Dakota State and North Dakota State on opposite sides and Montana State and Sac State on opposite sides, and so they they aren't supposed to look ahead when it comes to the seed order as far as potential matchups down the road they're just supposed to say this is who i think should be one two all the way down to eight that's how they should do it but, but you never know there, there could be some thought process in the back of the minds of okay let, these are our top four seats from two conferences let's separate them on, separate them on opposite sides uh, as far as the overall 24 um let's go to the kind of the flaws you were hinting at and others have been talking about on social media specifically maybe the last weekend where um whether it's hosting, getting bids, um, regionalizing some of this, is that where the FCS can maybe make some improvements in the future? I think so. Um, 
No, it's it's kind of a it's a balance of things because uh, the FCS playoffs is not uh, a huge money maker. It doesn't drive big revenue. Now that could potentially change in August of 2024 uh, when a new uh, media deal uh, is um, is out there. Uh, this current one is, is is pretty bad, honestly, as far as what the what ESPN pays the NCAA to broadcast uh, all of these postseason tournaments, including the FCS and the women's basketball tournament, baseball, softball. Um, there is a push to uh, the women's basketball tournament will certainly be sold separately. That's worth way more than what they're paying now. Um, there's hope that the FCS playoffs could be sold separately. But even if it's not, the, the NCAA should get a lot more money uh, when it comes to the broadcast deal. And that could help some of this. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the FCS, not, you know, not a huge TV market thing, not huge crowds. And so there isn't a ton of revenue being generated. And so what the NCAA does is they only seed eight. Uh, they regionalize the bracket. Uh, if there's a game between two unseeded teams, they usually go to the bid amount, not all the time like North Dakota and Weber right. states, uh, but most of the time they go to bid amounts and they also eat a good chunk of the ticket revenue. And for them to do that, that basically makes up for the travel costs because they do fly these teams. They, they, they do uh, you know bust these, tra- these teams and they do cover uh, those type of costs. And so when they do that, the FCS is, is one of the rare postseason tournaments outside of the basketball tournaments that, either generates the NCAA a little bit of money or they at least break even on it. And so could there be some changes? Uh, I think so. I think they could seed one through 16 where the eight seeds still one through eight seeds still get a buy nine through 16 teams. Uh, they get a guaranteed home playoff game, but they still have to bid a flat amount. Maybe they have mm. to pay $50,000 to bid instead of this, uh, you know, close envelope who bid more. Uh, <laughs> and then they, then they get matched up with teams 17 through 24, um, less based about the season more based about you know regionality you know let's say uh next year weber state is the number 13 seed and montana is outside of the top 16 seeds based on the regionality maybe they send montana to weber state and so that could that could help um a lot of this subjectiveness and kind of lack of transparency and lack of consistency by doing it this way while still also having a regional aspect to it and still also having some level of bids uh, to help the bottom line of the NCAA. I, I do think that is something the, the, the commissioners in the 80s should push, and, and I have had some tell me that is something we, we do want to push, but it's, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, the multiple committees they need to go through for approval for this to happen. Yeah, and, and, you know, keeping it regionalized, I think about this weekend, round two. Man, Weber State, I thought, could have been a seeded team. Instead, they had to play last weekend in the snow. They beat North Dakota. And their reward, they have to go to Montana State. Man, that I mean, you're cannibalizing yourself if you're the big sky, but that feels like a a, a, a matchup that should be in a later round as opposed to this weekend. Yeah, you know, it, it really is. And, you know, that's one of those things where, Montana State, you know, certainly should be mad about, about being seated behind North Dakota State, and they should be mad about their, this this draw they have in the second round. Although, even if even if Montana State was the five seed, the four seed, or the three seed, that they still probably would have gotten uh, this draw just based off of regionalization. But yeah, when 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 Weber State, which was essentially awarded this this home the the, the home playoff game versus UND because of their performance and because of Weber State was just getting left out of the seeds. You know, they're probably the, the quote-unquote number nine seed uh, in this bracket. But for them to be sent to number four seed Montana State in a rematch, like you said, this, this is a, these are two teams that probably could both make a run to the semifinals. Uh, you know, most likely in that portion of the bracket, William & Mary will beat Gardner-Webb. And I think William & Mary going to Montana State in the quarterfinals, that should be a Montana State win. 
Uh, William and Mary is solid, but you know, not not an elite program. And I think if we were state wins this weekend, they could go across the country and beat William and Mary um, on the road. And so I think whoever wins this game has you know a pretty good shot to make it to the semifinals. And so it's it's it is unfortunate uh, that these uh, two teams meet this early. But, you know, again, it's kind of just reality, and, and we see it a lot. You know, there's a lot of South Dakota State, North Dakota State, second-round matchups earlier in the 2010s. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, hopefully it's something like this, you know, can change down the future, in the future. But, you know, these, these regionalized matchups, uh, we're kind of used to them by now. Sam, I want to ask you about the Hornets. Uh, here they are as the two seed. We addressed that earlier. And I don't know a ton about the CAA, but they got a couple of teams, five teams in. They had good success last week, including Richmond taking care of Davidson. Uh, a blowout, 41 nothing. What do you think about this matchup? What should Hornet fans expect from this uh, Richmond Spider team? Yeah, it's it's, it's solid. It's a solid uh, Richmond team. They, they've made huge improvements over uh, the last couple of years. Uh, you know, the defense has always been solid over the last few years, still a solid this year. The problem with them recently has been their offense, uh, but they brought in two transfers, quarterback Reese Udinsky uh, and wide receiver Jacob Harris, two All-American level guys that played uh, FCS football at VMI, and that's really taken their offense to another level. Uh, you know, they spread the ball out, they get the ball out of their hands quick, uh, kind of a, um, you know, a, a high-flying passing attack. Um, and so, you know, for Sac State, I think you have to get after the offensive line get after the quarterback, make them um, a little uncomfortable and out of rhythm, but it's also, uh, you know, a, a big a big day for, you know, sound fundamental tackling. Uh, you know, these guys, uh, Richmond, they get the ball to their athletes in space. They try to make a guy miss and, you know, turn a three-yard gain into a 15-yard gain, and they just, you know, kind of go quick. And so um, got to tackle well in the open field to limit those big plays. Um, but this is, you know, it, it's a fun matchup because R- Richmond is – not necessarily a blue blood, but they have had national success in the past. They made it to the semifinals in, in 2015. Um, you know, when you think of the CAA, who's more of a power league in the FCS, uh, you, some of the first teams you think of are probably Richmond, New Hampshire, Villanova, teams like that. And so it is a well-known FCS team as far as just, you know, brand, I guess, for, for lack of a better word. So this is a, a good test for Sac State. And, you know, we don't usually see Big Sky versus CAA games this early in the bracket. So it, it's an exciting matchup from a national viewpoint. I know you've written about Sac State and kind of the narrative that's out there, and some of it's been fair. I mean, the Hornets, the demon that's out there is that they've not won a playoff game, but they've checked the other boxes as far as quality of opponents, who they've been able to beat, the consistency that they've done it in the regular season. Uh, Fans have shown up, all those things. Now's the next battle, and uh, they've had two awful postgame performances. The one a couple years ago against Austin P was honestly, you know, I call it their game, Sam, and I, I just under Troy Taylor, that was their worst game they've, they've played. And then last year, South Dakota State was really a tough draw, got behind, and it felt like if that game had a few more minutes, I think they get them, but it didn't. That was the reality of it. So um, I don't know what they're feeling internally, but what's kind of that national thought about Sac State that this program has really grown, it's, don't, it's doing something, but do they finally have to do something in the postseason to really get that validation? Yeah, I think having success in the playoffs is, is key and to take that next step. And it, it, this kind of brings me back to two things I wrote. One more recently is, and you touched on it, there's been some narratives about Sac State, um, and, and you know, three that come to mind and, Two of them, I think they've already overcome, you know, that one is that they haven't beaten anyone in the big sky. You know, while that was already a pretty bad narrative coming into this year because they had beaten some good teams, you know, the number of ranked teams that Sac State beat this year in the big sky was really impressive. The other narrative is no one goes to the games. 
well, Sac State is like number 11 uh, in FCS attendance, drawing 15,000 fans. And so that's another weird narrative I don't get. But there is that third narrative of, you know, they, they, they can't get it done in the playoffs. It doesn't matter what they do in the regular season as long as they're not winning in the playoffs. You know, it doesn't really matter. And that kind of brings me back to my preseason preview article about Sac State where I said Sac State and Troy Taylor, you know, and, and really good coaching staff, really good talent. They have definitely gotten a ton of respect around the FCS, those who cover the FCS know what Sac State was, you know, five, five years ago compared to what they are now. And there's a lot of respect for the improvements they've made, but it's no longer a feel-good story of, you know, look at the progress this program has done. Now it's, okay, now we need to see it on a national scale. We need to see you make a run to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, possibly beyond to turn that corner of, you know, this is a feel-good story. They, they turn things around to this is truly a national powerhouse. And so, you know, they, they kind of faced that um, – Face that doubt all throughout this year, even though they had an undefeated record, a great resume, they're still in the back of everyone's mind saying, yeah, you know, but we need to see it in the playoffs first. And Sac State is always going to face that doubt until they erase that doubt. Um, and I think they were built much better this year to erase that doubt of not being able to do anything in the playoffs, um, you know, playing better defense, more physical on offense. I think they are better built now to win multiple games in the playoffs and kind of get that, that, that last narrative about them, uh, you know, out, out of the mouths of people that follow the FCS. And with that said, as I know you wrote, and you kind of had a ranking of the 16 that were left on the best chances to, to win it all. And you obviously thought pretty highly of the Hornets. I think you had them third. So, I mean, they're ranked second. You think they've got uh, about the third best chance to win this whole thing. I and mean, that's the company they're in. It's really nice to see this program do that but uh they got to start breaking through if you look at just ahead i know they're the coaches and the players need to lock in on richmond but if, if you do look ahead in their region um besides the obvious of richmond being this weekend what other landmines should hornet fans be concerned about yeah you know it, it is a, a pretty challenging path to frisco in the national championship game for sac state uh, i mean you look at the number one seed south dakota state they they play Delaware, who who's solid, but they should win. And then after this round uh, in the quarterfinals, Holy Cross, New Hampshire shouldn't really present you know any problems. And then in the semifinals, potential game against Weber State or Montana State, you know still feel pretty good about the Jacks winning there. On the flip side, for the number two seed Sac State, you know Richmond, you know, we talked about them. They're they're a quality opponent, but still should be you know Sac State will be favored to win. And then in the quarterfinals, I mean UIW is is one of the highest octane offenses in the FCS uh, they could lose to Furman and I do think Furman is a really balanced team and so that mm. quarterfinal game uh, is, is going to be you know a challenge um, I do think Furman is, is built really well defensively so maybe they could slow UIW down uh, plus UIW is dealing with their head coach being rumored to uh, be a candidate for some FBS head coach openings and so uh, something to keep an eye on there for UIW but again, you know, Sac State should be favored to beat Furman or UIW if they play their game in the quarterfinals. But then in the semifinals is kind of where I hesitate a little bit. Uh, I have South Dakota State, my number one favorite to win the national title. I have NDSU number two um, and Sac State number three. Uh, you know, I, I can't obviously flip my mind if, if NDSU is kind of struggling but still winning but not by much and Sac State is dominating. I might flip my mind for that potential semifinal matchup. But right now it's 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 probably based on past precedent more sure. than anything. And I understand that's not fair, but at the same time, NDSU didn't look all that great last year uh, during the regular season. They looked good, but not dominant. And then they rolled through the playoffs for the most part and dominated Montana state. And so it's maybe it's deja vu more than anything where it's like, is can a big sky team really beat North Dakota state? You know, I, I think there are some out there that can, but at the same time, until I actually see it happen, 
I just always kind of lean toward NDSU peaking in December um, and starting to roll toward the, the, the national title game. And so that's why I have NDSU one spot ahead of Sac State um, as far as my power rankings to win the national title. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. I mean, the Hornets obviously have to prove it. They're on the big stage again and anxious to see what they do on Saturday. Sam, it's so great to catch up with you for a few moments. We encourage everybody to check you out and all your work, certainly on Twitter at Sam Herder FCS, but all your stuff you do at Hero Sports, all things FCS that you cover, you do great work. And uh, I hope the Hornets have a long playoff run because that might mean we might uh, see you down the line. Uh, but again, Sam, thank you so much for joining us, and we'd love to do this again sometime soon. Yeah, that sounds great with me. I appreciate you, uh, again, having me on. All right, thank you to Sam. Again, make sure you follow Sam Herter and all the info and details that he provides. As far as this weekend goes, the opponent, it's the Richmond Spiders as uh, they are here and uh, looking forward to the matchup. We got a chance to catch up with their longtime voice, Bob Black. All right, as we said, we got to get a preview of the opponent this week for Sacramento State. You look at the brackets, you see when everything comes out, you're you're so excited about Sacramento State, but there's going to be someone in front of them. We didn't know, would it be Davidson? Would it be Richmond? We now know after watching last week, and it's the Richmond Spiders who advance and uh, advance easily. They look great last week with a 41 nothing shutout and their voice, longtime voice of the Richmond Spiders, Bob Black, joining us here. Bob, how are you? Jason, doing great. Uh, happy to still be talking FCS football in late November and into December. I can tell you that. It's been a while for the Spiders. Yeah, but you've had success in the past, the championship years back, and it's been a while. But, I mean, isn't this – I mean, obviously all this for you and I, it's fun to call any game, but it, it's more fun now, right, isn't it? Yeah, I'm happy to report it's still as much fun for us as it was for those of us that were here a half dozen years ago, the last time the Spiders made the playoffs, and certainly dating back, as you alluded to, to 2008 when we won the national championship and just, you know, what a memorable experience that was. But it's really intriguing and interesting to watch our guys, most of whom have not been in the postseason. There are, There's a sprinkling of players that were at other schools that have been in the FCS playoffs, but... For the majority of this team, they're going through it for the first time. Well, I got to ask you about 2008 there, just because, and pardon the ignorance, the Hornets weren't sniffing the playoffs, weren't even remotely close back then. So when you guys, not when you won it, but when you were entering the postseason, did it feel like, hey, this is a championship team? Yeah, I think it really did. And I think the year before really helped. We had advanced to the semifinals. And the big dog back then was Appalachian State, mm-hmm. which is obviously now an FBS team and doing very well in the Sun Belt Conference. And we had lost the year before to App State um, in the semifinals at App State. And we got a rematch with them in 2008. And I think that really helped because most of that team – return from the 2007 team so as that playoff unfolded I think they felt better and better about themselves they were excited about getting a rematch with App State and that would have been in the quarterfinals and then in the semifinals they beat Northern Iowa which has been another staple of the FCS playoffs and beat them at Northern Iowa in their dome stadium and then the championship game I think there was so much confidence Not that it was a foregone conclusion that Richmond was going to win, but I think after having beaten App State and Northern Iowa, they felt pretty good. It was Montana, which was, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. it still is a great program, um, but they they dominated that championship game, which back then was in Chattanooga and won it uh, 24 to 7. It was really never, never in doubt. So it was a, it was a memorable run in, in 08 for the Spiders, probably other than me. The only other person that was a part of that is a, is our head coach, Russ Huseman who was our defensive coordinator 
in 2008. And I don't want to be too long-winded with you, Jason, but the remarkable part of that story was as soon as that game ended, he stayed in Chattanooga, which was his alma mater, and he took the head coaching job at Chattanooga the very next day. He didn't even come back on the airplane to Richmond with us to celebrate. He stayed at Chattanooga. They hired him the very next day as Chattanooga's head coach. Well, now he's back. You're still there. Um, What did it feel like, Bob, when this season started? What was your read on the Spiders? Did you see this as a team that would go 8-3 and and, and do some damage in the CAA? Yeah, I think the hope was definitely there, Jason. I think um, everybody from Coach Usman all the way through the program and the organization knew it was time to get back to the postseason. There have been a couple of near misses since Coach usman has been the head coach, but he hadn't been able to get over that hump and get us there, and he had proven that he can do it because he did it three times at Chattanooga while he was at his alma mater. So I think they were all very focused on this year being that season. They went a little bit into the transfer portal, which Richmond doesn't do a whole lot of. They are very selective when they do that, and they brought in, obviously, a standout quarterback in Reese Udinsky and a standout wide receiver in Jacob Harris and an offensive coordinator in Billy Kosh. And the common thread between all three of them was that all of them had, at one time or another and together, been at VMI. And that's a program that hasn't had a lot of success but they had when those three guys were there. They broke through and got to the postseason, so they were very successful there. And to cobble all three of them together and bring them here gave us great hope that this would be a season that it's turned out to be. You would It makes sense to me that those three would have some great continuity, but pairing that with what was already there, was that seemingly uh, seamless, I guess? Yeah, it's almost like you're listening to our conversation because we just did our podcast uh, with Reese Udinsky was our was our player guest on this one, and he talked about that because I think there was a thought when he came in that it would be a lot of Reese Udinsky to Jacob Harris, right? They've been together for for three years that he'd have you know 150 completions between the two of them, and it hasn't turned out that way. As it's turned out, uh, Reese has really spread the wealth, and you know three of the top four receivers in the Colonial Athletic Association were were his guys. So it wasn't just Jacob Harris. It was Leroy Henley, and it was Josiah Williams, and even Nick DiGennaro, who's the fourth wide receiver, has, you know, a a basket full of catches to his credit as well. So it wasn't just that combination. Certainly they brought experience and successful experience with them from VMI, but Reese and Coach Kosh with that offense done a tremendous job of spreading the ball around. One of the interesting stats, I think, to to watch on Saturday, I I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say, Bob, it's 14 straight games that Sacramento State's defense has held the opposing quarterback to under 60% completion, which is significant. That helps them in in their chance to to win games. If they're able to do that this week, I mean, with what Reese Udinsky is doing, I mean, obviously the quarterback's goal is to go back, throw, and complete passes, but he's doing this at such a high clip what do you credit that incredible success rate to uh, for that offense? Uh, when he came in, um, the scouting report on him from Coach Kosh and from Coach Huseman, who obviously did a lot of study of Reese before bringing him in, that A, he's very intelligent, he doesn't make very many mental mistakes, and B, he's very accurate. Mm-hmm. Wherever he's throwing the ball on the field, it's going to go to his receiver or it's not going to anybody. So when there's an incompletion or even an interception, and there are only four of those all year, you know, it's a total shock to everybody. But I do think it's his, his acumen, his, his sense for the game, number one, mentally and then physically, 
he has a really – not that he's not a strong-armed kid because he is. He's a big kid, but he's extremely accurate. He can put the ball in tight windows, and more often than not, he'll put it where either his guy's going to catch it or it's going to be an incompletion and they'll live to play another down. Offense, as you know, goes as, as much as that offensive line. How's the O-line as you uh, prep for, for this playoff game? Yeah, in, in pretty good shape, and that was, that was another key that Coach Usman really harped on in the preseason is this is about as deep as we have been with our offensive line uh, since he has been here. Now, they did lose one player right before the season opener against Virginia that would have made them even deeper, but they were able to rebound from that pretty successfully, and other than, than that young man at a tackle position, they've been pretty healthy most of the year. There have been the usual nicks and knacks and that sort of thing, um, but really the starters who have been there most of the season and even the backup two or three guys that they put in that rotation, uh, they're all in pretty good shape going into this week's game. How about the defense collectively? Obviously you got to have a ton of confidence coming off a shutout uh, with Davidson and, and, you know, it's just a unique offense for you guys to completely bottle them up. They've got to be ultra confident, but what do you think about the defense coming into this playoff game? Well, they'll have unique again to deal with this week <laughs> with two quarterbacks going in and out. So that's, that's even more a challenge, I think, this week than that option was last week. I think that's how they're approaching it as well. The really fascinating story, Jason, on, on Richmond's defense this year has been the defensive line. That was the question mark coming into the season. Uh, we lost a couple of guys, defensive ends to graduation, a defensive tackle who transferred to Wake Forest and is starting now for the Demon Deacons. And then again, right before the season started, lost a, a young man to a season-ending Achilles injury. Um, so the depth on the defensive line was suspect, and um, it's been really fun to watch them come of age, the way they've been coached up, the way they have gotten better. The two defensive ends are both all-conference uh, performers, Marlon Lewis and Jeremiah Grant, and the veteran defensive tackle, Ray Eldridge, was a third-team All-CAA selection as well. The intriguing story is the other defensive tackle position, Carson Stocklinski, remember the name. He was an offensive lineman when summer camp began, and because they were so thin on defense, he kind of raised his hand and said, Coach, I played defensive line in high school. If you want me to move over, I will. And not only did he move over, but he's been the starting defensive tackle since week one of the season against Virginia. So the defensive line has really come of age. The linebackers have been good for several years together. Um, Philip O'Connor, Tristan Wheeler, and Xavier Marshall. And then the secondary is also probably about as good as Coach Usman has had since he's been here. Wow. As far as the other elements, special teams, kicking, punting, coverages, how, how do the uh, spiders stack up there? So kicking, I, I wouldn't say has been an adventure, but it, it has been different. We have used two kickers. Uh, Jake Larson was the incumbent at that position and opened the season as our kicker. He actually injured a hamstring running a play in practice about four games into the season. He had just had a bad miss uh, against Elon in our loss to Elon. He had an opportunity to win the game with a 42-yard field goal on the last play and missed that, and then he hurt his leg. So he was a little bit down in the dumps. Andrew Lopez took over as our kicker, really hadn't kicked for us up until that point. He'd been the understudy to Jake Larson, and he's, he's nailed almost everything. I think he's missed one field goal and one PAT the rest of the way. And now Larson is healthy again, and the coaching staff is kind of using Jake Larson as their long field goal kicker and Andrew Lopez as their shorter field goal kicker. And just as a story of redemption for Jake Larson, he came back and kicked the game-winning field goal 
39-yarder at Delaware that gave us our eighth win and clinched a, a postseason spot. So that's been a, a fun position to watch. And then we have an Australian, uh, as I believe you guys do as well, mm-hmm. at the punting position in Aaron Trussler. So maybe the two of them will be able to commiserate uh, before the game and talk about the good old times back home. And, and he's been terrific for us. His net punting average has been really good. As we look at the spiders as you look at them let's let's take a positive and a negative so when things are going right what are you looking at and maybe what are some of their trouble spots if if they've gotten in uh in some of their losses this season well i I would say and much like sacramento state you know they're going to run tempo offense so when they when they get in a rhythm they are really good and they'll get up on the ball and they'll move it as quickly as they possibly can and i think that's when this offense is is at its best i think when they when they have to slow down, when there's a couple of incompletions or they get behind the sticks, I think that becomes a little bit more of an issue. They have not thrown the deep ball a whole lot. I'm sure Reese Udinsky can do it, and we've got a couple of receivers who have good speed, but for the most part, they have not thrown the deep ball a lot in, in any game. So I would say the weakness, and I know a lot of offenses can say the same thing, is getting behind the sticks. If you get them in second and 13 or, you know, even second and nine or 10, they're not quite as comfortable as if they pick up positive yardage on first down. I think one of the the charms of this game is the fact that, you know, Big Sky, CAA, both conferences are good. Both got a lot of playoff representation, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out how they match up. I mean, I see stats, but there's not a lot of common threads amongst these leagues, and that makes this fun. I mean, there's uncertainty. You know, the Hornets, I would say, would come in as the favorite. Doesn't mean Richmond can't win. It just this makes this weekend and the playoffs just so much fun to me. Yeah, that is exactly what it's all about, and the fun that it is is to not know that much about an opponent and, in our case, to go somewhere where we've never been. This will be the first football game that the University of Richmond has ever played in the state of California at, at any level back from, you know, when they started in 1898 or whatever it was. So this is, you know, the first trip to, to California. So I love that. Like you just said, I love the idea that you're playing new teams, you're going to new places, you're putting together new game plans. I think, you know, that energizes everybody. Obviously you want to win a championship and it's one and done at this point, but I do think you get energized by the idea that you're going to match up against somebody from another conference that, you know, we talk about on a regular basis and just how good the big sky is and the teams in the conference that are so good, but you don't really drill down on them mm-hmm. during the regular season because you're, you're not going to play them. Well, now they're, they're drilling about as deep as they possibly can to find out about Sacramento state and to find out about Richmond. And I know we were talking before we started this interview that uh, uh, granted you're coming all the way across country, but it sounds like coach and the uh, staff agreed to leave on a Thursday, get maybe an extra day acclimated. Is that kind of the thought behind uh, getting out here a day earlier? Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of funny. My, my partner on our radio and TV broadcasts, uh, Chris Anderson, played for us in the late 1990s and, a, and on a playoff team as well. And he was chuckling and said, I remember back when we were in the playoffs, we were still driving from Richmond to Washington, D.C. and getting on a commercial plane in Washington, D.C. and flying, you know, wherever. So these guys, they've got it good. We're going to get on a charter plane um, because the NCAA now provides that. We're going to get on a charter plane on Thursday evening, our time, and fly out to Sacramento and, you know, be there early evening something like that on Thursday and then have the full day Friday 
to try and get acclimated, you know, with, with the area, with the time change, all, with the change in schedule, you know, all of that. I do think there's an advantage to being the home team at this point in, in the postseason. Um, so they're going to do, you know, everything they can to put their guys in, in a comfort zone and, and in being as good a shape to play the game on, on Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock your time out there yeah well these two teams deserve it they've both had great years uh it's gonna be fun Uh, the intensity the excitement bob we really appreciate your time look forward to meeting you in person on the weekend and uh, thanks so much for joining us absolutely enjoyed it and look forward to seeing you out there this weekend jason well as i give my thoughts on a saturday uh, i'm going to maintain with a lot of things that i've said about the hornets all year long it's can they get this game in their terms? And what are the Hornet terms? If you've watched them and followed them or listened to us on the radio, you know what their terms are. Run the ball, take care of the ball, limit mistakes, and get ahead. If they get ahead, this team is so absolutely lethal. And looking back at playoff failures the last two times uh, to Austin P and last year to South Dakota State, the Hornets were down 28 nothing and 24 nothing in any other game in the history of Troy Taylor as coach at Sacramento State, that hasn't happened. So those feel like outliers, but the Hornets also have to figure out why. Why have they had those slow starts in the postseason? Certainly there's another team that's responsible for it, but what have they done to cause some of those um, deficits? So I think the Hornets have to do some self-evaluation you know, evaluation to see why those have happened and now realize they've got to change that for this weekend's matchup against Richmond. It should be a fun game. There's a lot of anticipation. The Hornets can't put any more pressure on it. Play their game. If they do that and they play hard, play smart, I like their chances. Doesn't mean it's automatic. Obviously, like I said earlier, you got another team on the other side. Richmond's very good, very talented, a team that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. They're on the positive side on the turnover ratio. They've got a good offense, a good defense. Uh, it's a, a school with a good tradition. So, it's just understanding the CAA versus the big sky, matchup versus matchup. And, you know, we'll see about the weather. It looks like some rain. We'll see. I mean, the Hornets have to go out there and do their thing. And if they play to their seed, what the, you know, the decision makers thought, the Hornets are favored and this is a game. And you're at home. You can't have a better path than Sacramento State has. Now, they got to go out and do it. So uh, we look forward to it. Again, our thanks to Sam Herder, our thanks to Bob Black. But we do want to end the podcast with one last little item, this was a reminder to me from one of our faithful listeners, Lars Hansen, former Hornet offensive lineman and a regular at the Sac State games and a regular listener here, which we appreciate, that uh, I think last year before the Causeway, I played the game tease, the last thing we play before uh, we go on the radio to, to start the pregame show. So already have it ready for this week for Saturday's game. Thought I would throw this in as a little uh, motivator maybe to to end the podcast, get you fired up for the game. It's what we will play right before the broadcast on Saturday. So enjoy the tease. Enjoy the week. We'll be back next week to recap and hopefully look forward to another round of playoff football. But either way, we'll be back next week for another edition of the Stingers Up Sacramento State Football Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and Stingers Up. All season long, the Sacramento State Hornets have been chasing an endless pursuit of targets. One by one, they've knocked them down. An undefeated non-league schedule that required an FBS win. A nationally televised game that produced a comeback for the ages. O'Hara scored a rushing touchdown every game this season. He's going to keep the snap. He's going to run right. He's going to get in. Touchdown! Touchdown, Asher O'Hara! Touchdown, Hornets! It's a one-point game! The quest for a third consecutive Big Sky title, but to get there... 
a win over their rival was needed. Aggies now can throw it to the end zone from here. Ball has been set. Clock is not running. Now it does. Ten seconds. Nine seconds. Hastings with the snaps. Got to air it to the end zone. Throws downfield. It's going to be caught. Rolling to the sideline. In the field of play. That's going to end the game. Two. One. The perfect season has happened. 11-0 for Sacramento State. As they storm the field, they win the Big Sky Conference. They win it 27-21 over their rivals in a thrilling Causeway Classic. Records, accolades, and national attention now front and center for the Sacramento State football program. All of it well-deserved, but there's one thing that has eluded them, postseason success. With dreams of four wins and a title, it starts with needing just one, getting that first FCS playoff win. The challenge is right in front of them. The talented Richmond Spiders visit California for the first time with their own dreams and aspirations. The FCS playoffs are here. It's win and move on or lose and you're done. The Richmond Spiders, the Sacramento State Hornets. It's FCS playoff football and it's next.